Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 74. In this episode, I spoke with Tim Day, who is one of the, uh, I would say, thought leaders regarding the church in Canada. Obviously, he has wisdom beyond just the Canadian context, but especially in Canada, he's one of those guys who knows a lot of people, uh, sees the trends, and observes what the Spirit is doing at a greater, higher level than just in a particular local context. He's also the Executive Director of City Movement Canada, and he's the Director of the Impact Network, which operates Waybase.com, a major platform with 30,000 church listings in Canada. And they offer many different tools for Canadian churches, and especially they've collected a whole bunch of resources that are useful right now in this time of crisis. So you'll find uh, all those things, of course, linked in the show notes. So in this episode, you're going to find a lot of encouragement for each of us to consider what God may be inviting each of us to consider in this place of hardship and of suffering, that suffering so often is a catalyst for change in our lives. And so not wanting to gloss over the hardships that many people are facing in this time, but leaning in to say what can uh, this hardship produce positively in my life, in my church, uh, in the wider Christian culture? So there's encouragement here specifically for pastors, for individuals, for those leading ministries. Uh, I think just about any of you will get something out of this. Uh, We're really talking specifically in the current COVID-19 context. So uh, again, check the show notes for relevant resources. uh, And here we go. How, how, what, what's your own reality? How are, how are you doing? Where are you located? And what is, what is the personal, uh, reality for you right now, Tim? Well, I, um, like a lot of Canadians and a lot of people around the world, uh, my family and I are, are, uh, self-isolating here, just, uh, pulling into our house and operating out of our, our home together. I have two, uh, my older kids are in university, so they're on online, uh, studies now trying to finish off their year one in high school and they're having a harder time getting online. My wife works with families with uh, kids that have autism. Hmm. And so she switched uh, to working at home online and uh, I'm doing the same with my work with city movement and Waybase, uh, kind of the two wings of what I work at. And so everything is virtual zoom call 20, you know, 10 hours a day, <laughs> nine hours a day is just one big zoom meeting. Uh, very trying to be very disciplined in our routines uh, so that, <clears throat> you know, we, we have healthy uh, routines built into this time. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's for, for a lot of people getting used to the, uh, the new online world. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find that it, how did you transition? Did, was it a fairly seamless one for you or did you find it, it, it was a bit, you know, emotionally or just psychologically to kind of get your feet underneath you again? Um, probably transition in some ways a little better than others. Uh, in terms of the work that we have, we have a shared work, we have a workspace, um, that our team goes into, but a lot of our team, particularly on the technology side, they work at home, uh, during the week and then come in for one or two days. And so we were kind of already set up to work remotely. So that part was a little bit easier, but it, you know, it just happened in stages, uh, Mm -hmm. for a lot, you know, like for a lot of people, you know, at first it's like, okay, what's going on? Okay, we might have to work from home. How long are we working at home? Okay, now we for sure have to work from home. 
you know, it just kind of unfolded in stages. And so it's been about 21 days now that we have uh, been in this zone yeah. of uh, working from home and not being out much, yeah, not being out sure. really at all. Right, right, right. And, mm-hmm. and remind me, remind me, where's home for you right now, Tim? Burlington, Ontario. So we're just outside the Toronto area, uh, closer to Hamilton, if you know that kind of zone. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's our home base for us. Yeah. So how and and what's your engagement then in church looking like on a kind of like on a for your own worship context? Uh, a tuning into a live stream. Yep. Yeah, a live stream uh, for our Sunday mornings and kind of break out and do some group work there, and then also some midweek uh, points of connection for prayer and checking in. And uh, so, uh, similar to a lot of churches, one fun thing that our church is doing is a puzzle challenge, where Anybody who wants to kind of orders the same puzzle, thousand piece puzzle, and you kind of track with how far you how far you've gotten on your puzzle as a community. <laughs> so that's kind of like a fun uh, little twist. But that's great. Um, you know, we're trying to trying to create some moments that give us a shared experience. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's also there's obviously a fair amount too, just like trying to support people who are single. Because the impacts on people living alone or seniors that need food or just practical services, it's really created a whole new dynamic on that front. Yeah, of course. That's one of the things I've been chewing through myself is just this this dichotomy where this this thing is affecting every one of us, but it's affecting some people really very differently from others. And so, you know, it's like we have a shared experience – and yet, within that experience, vastly different manifestations. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's probably you know what one of the conversations we you know, that's quickly emerged is is there anything that we've had in the past that we can reference that is like this? And although there are organizations that have worked in epidemics, let's say you know World Visions of this world and different relief and development organizations, for most people, this is really. You know, you can't point back to anything in known history. You can't watch, you know, other than if you want to watch a kind of a, a dystopian or like post-apocalyptic movie, you know, that's trying to theorize what a pandemic is like. For most people, this is brand new experience and there's no real reference point to it. So there is a lot of like trying to sort, okay, how does this impact people? And you're right. There's a wide range and, and from fear like, uh, like life threatening type fear on one end, right. Or exhaustion from people working in medicine, complete, absolute exhaustion, or to the other end where people are kind of like introverted and happy and hiding out in home and loving life. So it's a, it's a real spectrum. How, how's your connection then with the churches from a, from a mission standpoint and from a connection standpoint, is is there a broad spectrum as well among how churches are handling and responding? I definitely think there is a spectrum, although I think there are some pretty common experiences on this um, and for different types of ministries. Obviously, if you just stop and think about it, like what's the impact on camps or what's the impact on schools that have to send everybody home and have mm-hmm. international s- students or impacts on smaller congregations have very elderly population and maybe even an older pastor. Uh, through to a large church that's multi-site and used to running a ton of programs through their buildings. If you just kind of like stop and just do like a little mental checklist, okay, what are they probably going through? You can imagine it's just like, you know, first of all, by and large, it's 
it's massively disruptive and in a lot of cases very threatening to the you know kind of survival of some of these ministries what's going on right now because there's a ton of churches that within two weeks of going online have seen their offerings drop dramatically yes and they've also seen a lot of their people be instantly unemployed right whole service sectors laid off and um you know the, like you look at the government doing like a 75 percent wage subsidy right yeah like when's the last time we've ever even con- contemplated that like i don't think i've ever even thought of that as an option and you know so this is you know i've talked to pastors of large churches where they've laid off staff almost instantly um senior leaders taking 30 percent percent pay cuts right out of the gate um whole ministries in some cases have laid off almost all of their staff you know so it's just extremely i'd say the common things are in this we saw this in a survey how do you switch everything online what do you do about the financial crisis and money uh, to survive Uh, how do you do community during this time in terms of actually people feeling cared for and then what do you do for all the vulnerable people that are affected whether they're affected and in critical condition in uh, because of COVID or just have other care issues like shut-ins, uh, older people that need meals and can't get out. You know, it just cr- is created just like a, a storm of, you know, kind of a, a whirlwind of activity that is also causing a lot of emotional uh, stress. You know, like there's a lot of logistical issues, but there's also a lot of ministry leaders that are expressing like, I'm exhausted at the end of every day. Like Mm. I get done with my 10 hours of Zoom meetings and I'm exhausted. I've never been this tired. It's because they're on on brain overload. And and then have, and also have just a certain amount of like emotional exhaustion because there's this grind going on beneath you or behind you. Like what if my parents get really sick and I can't even go visit them. I can't even see them in the hospital. Yes. Uh, you know, which can be very personal that way for a, a lot of people. Um, or I have just had to lay off a bunch of my closest staff and I don't know when I'm going to take them back. I don't know when we're going to get back together. These types of things, you know, people love people deeply. Uh, we live in the trenches together and serving together and living in community together. And then all the ways that we normally cope have been taken away from us. We normally get together and I don't know a time in the past where the church hasn't been able to get together, at least in the West. Like when have we not, even in world wars and stuff, when have we not been able to get together to pray together or check in? This is really the first time that we've been finding ourselves in this situation. So it's a, there is a spectrum for sure, but there's also a lot of real common experiences people are having right now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think you're, I mean, you're, I, I concur with everything you're saying. It's, it's like, you know, oh, well, you know, we remember when there was that blackout and it was a little bit like that, except that all our stuff works and right. we can't see each other. And then, you know, some people are old enough maybe to remember World War II or, or their own national conflicts or, you know, we remember the fear of the Cold War. It's such destabilization, like you've used that word a couple of times, and that's definitely, I've been feeling that to have kind of like the the rug pulled out from you, all of your emotional supports uh, pulled out from you. What do you think, and, and maybe this is getting ahead of ourselves, but it, my brain immediately starts to go, what, what changes are permanent 
what do we do? What do we learn about ourselves and our communities now that we haven't had to learn that actually permanently change the way we do church? Have is your brain gone there yet? Yeah, it's it's something that has come up in some conversations, and you know, some changes are done to us, and we kind of wake up on the other side and like, oof, I'm different. And then some changes we embrace and we kind of embark on the process of change because we know that we need to, you know, we need to go from here to a new space. And uh, so I think, and this is all speculation because only time really tells, uh, humans are incredibly resilient. And we also, there's certain things that we've done for thousands and thousands of years that, you know, I think we should take a certain amount of comfort in is we like to get back to normal and at some point in time we will get back to a kind of normal where we are doing the things that we've always done together so you know i don't think we should think of oh wow people are going to realize they don't need to they don't need community they don't need to be together (laughs) you know they don't need to go and hang out together that's not going to happen like you know we're going to really work hard at this until we can be back in community together but having said that what are some things that we can learn? I definitely think this is a huge learning time for people related to our, our shared, how much we're alike across the globe. Hmm. Um, in the past, world wars have pitted us against each other in a very dehumanizing way. And, and it's been about, you know, just a lot of destruction and, and uh, hatred and fear this is very different. Everybody is kind of on the same page and working against the same threat. And I think you're seeing political parties, like we've been in a time of incredible ideological conflict, right? Uh, and we see people kind of like having to set that aside to work together. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to go back to our old ways of, of villainizing people and disliking people. That's That seems to be what humans in their, you know, uh, how do you say, <clears throat> who live independent of, of uh, you know, submission to God, if I can say that, right? We, we go back to those old ways, those destructive yes. ways. But I think we have an opportunity to learn, hey, do you know what? It is really good to find ways to work together. I think that's particularly true for the church right now. You know, can we step out of some of our historic divisions and kind of theolo- theological, you know, you know, uh, siloing, you know, we're this people, we're that people, we're different than you, we're better than you, and actually find out what it's like to work together and have a common experience. I think there's a huge chance to emotionally learn by doing, mm. um, by working together, and not learn by theorizing, but learn by doing and uh, learning out of the crisis. I also think there's an opportunity for the church to um, uh, learn how to operate with the new tools that are out there for living life on a daily basis using some of the technology that's available. You know, a lot of churches are being thrown into chaos because they don't know how to relate to people. And we view social media like celebrities or influencers do, which is, hey, notice me. Hey, notice me. Hey, look, I'm funny. Hey, look, at I'm cool. And it's really not about doing life together. It's not about action. It's not about we're on mission together. Like, for example, in business, uh, businesses, they use online tools all the time to do business, to do measurable transaction that advance their cause. And the church doesn't live in that realm. You know, we, we, we do everything through meetings and then we use social media for kind of attention seeking. 
or maybe passing some tips around or some ideas around, but we're not really on mission together in the same way that the businesses do that. Hmm. And I think there's a way for us to kind of like come into the future, you know, kind of be pushed into our own future this way to say, do you know what, if we kind of went cold Turkey for a little while, uh, you know what I mean? You know, go off of events yes, for a period of time and figure out how to work together online. We might actually build some skills that we can then use into the future when we go back to meeting together, but learn how to do more action oriented mission type work online. And mm. uh, so that's, that's a potential positive. One last thing I think that comes to mind is in crises, um, we are tested and this is maybe, this is at a deeper level. Okay. In crises, we're tested for what's the real value of what I'm doing and what's my depth of understanding yeah. of what is, what is needed in, in the core of the human experience. And if I'm a shallow person, a crisis exposes that I'm shallow. Yes. If I'm about appearances in a crisis, a crisis experiences how shallow that is. And I, if we live siloed lives where we just talk in, in, in kind of our little cloistered clusters and our own little kind of dialect, <clears throat> dialectical, you know, kind of like little, uh, you know, our own cliches, our own little phrases. Yes. A crisis exposes that because we kind of get forced out of our silos, get forced out of our, our normal ways of operating. And we have to face the real complexity of community of in crisis, the needs and be able to talk deeply and talk to people who are in deeply emotional states and face problems that are extremely complex and need cooperation and collaboration. Mm. And I think one of the real challenges or things that's going to potentially affect the church is we may find out that we're as not, how do I say, we're not as deep and wise as we realize. Yes. Right. We may find that we have lived, you know, more superficially and kind of like been in a club mentality that when we get out onto the world stage of a world pandemic in a complicated, deep crisis, we may find that we have work to do. To And this may change who we listen to in leadership. You know, we might get tested that celebrity leadership in Christianity is not as valuable to us mm-hmm. as, as community leaders who are networked and working on mission in cities to make a difference. Or, you know aspirational leaders who talk in aspirational terms are not as helpful as people who can practically walk with people through difficult, emotional, or relationally complex issues. Mm. Um, so simple self-help help tools are good in peace times, you know, and kind of distracting, entertaining thoughts, thought of the day is helpful in, in uh, happiness and wholeness times. When you get into a crisis where people are really struggling and suffering, those things quickly show to be pretty, I don't know, how do you say? Vacuous. <laughs> a little Bank, empty. Vacuous, right? Kind of empty. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need a little peppy talk of the day when I'm facing something this painful and this difficult. So I, I think this might be a time for us to kind of have a bit of a shakedown in the church mm. and say, are we using easy to understand deep, meaningful, rich language to talk about our experience in communities and how Jesus uniquely equips us to serve those people who are very different from us, people who are very vulnerable, and to serve in a way that is deeply sacrificial and to not do it in a, you know, to do it out of a place of having counted the cost and figured out how to be easily understood and very practical in our action. 
and to translate Jesus' message to a world so they can understand it and see it in action. I think there, I think we'll be tested by that, as other generations have been in their own crises, their wow. their their generational crises. Yeah, that's that's brilliant, Tim. I was listening to a. This is I've got my brain going now. I was listening to a podcast yesterday um, for out of the states, and and I bring this up as as an exa- as an example because of where my brain went. But one of the the pieces shared was regarding the the shifting narrative that you see out of the the you know the U.S. White House. The kind of um, this is going to sound way more political than I ever try to get, but but we'll get. I'll explain why I bring this up. Why, so essentially, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we no have problem. the kind of the early narrative uh, from President Trump that this is a hoax that's you know designed to tear down my presidency. To this is a real crisis, and then uh, it's well, it's a real crisis, but you know we're going to get back to work by Easter, and then you know in the last at the time of this recording, you know, in the last twenty four thirty six hours, it's it's like well you know there's going to be at least another month here. And so there's this kind of back and forth shifting narrative. And the particular individuals I was listening to were, they were pointing to his to his narcissism and essentially his need to constantly be propped up by people around him and, and what that exposes about his own identity issues. So if we, we put all that aside for a minute, whether you're whether you're a fan of, of the US current administration or not, it it did get me thinking, oh man, how much do how much do I need to be propped up by, 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 by being liked by others, by being supported, by, by being seen as a, as the guy who brings good news or, you know, whatever the, my unique things are. And that came back to me just as you were unpacking that now, how much of our church culture and our leadership culture, uh, maybe backs up a certain, certain kind of personality deficits or certain kind of leadership style that uh, suddenly has no inputs when you're at home alone. Right. Uh, and right. maybe you don't have to be a really high contrast example like President Trump to realize actually, yeah, th- there are, there is all kinds of ways that I have consciously or subconsciously built my own church experience uh, to you know, avoid my shortcomings and to 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 bolster me up, both in in, in genuinely good ways, but as well as ways that uh, are now being exposed for their their lack of depth. Yeah, and you know, similar to like other types, if you take like a personal accident, you know, a car accident, right? Then and somebody's in intensive care and you didn't see it coming. It's not a slow aging process or a slow onset of a of a sickness. You know, this is boom out of the blue. All of a sudden, everything that I was doing before, I was like, why was I even doing that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why did I even pick up, you know, we were picking a pointless fight and now you're on your deathbed. I'm so sorry. Why did I say that? You know, all sorts of things get exposed in that moment for what really matters here, right? Mm -hmm. And then you, once you say what really matters, then you look at like, well, why was I doing all this other stuff? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, you got to look at it, do some self-examination. And I do think, you know, this is, I've been thinking about this over the history of the church, and uh, I'm just going to take a moment to explain it, then come back to your point, uh, explain a few thoughts, and then come back to your point. One of the things that I've observed over church history is, you know, Jesus used language that was familiar to them when he described this new community, new way of being. But he would always take the terms and and reinvent the terms, right? So it was like, 
we're a family, but it's a different kind of family than a typical family because it's an inclusive family of all language and types and everybody gets to be part of it because we have one heavenly parent, right? Yes. And it's like, well, that's kind of a family. That's a totally different kind of family than anybody normally thinks of, right? Or a kingdom. Well, we're going to use kingdom. Everyone knows what a kingdom is and what a king is, but he reinvented all oh, this kingdom is like the king is a servant and it's a, and it's, and he starts going through the terms of it. it's like, well, that's not like any other kingdom I've ever known. Mm. Right. So he's, he's reinventing these, these ways that we organize ourselves to do community, but is completely almost inverting them in some ways, right. Taking out the very best of what they could be, but this other, other ways are just completely inverted and, and teaching us how to be, uh, you know, service oriented or servant oriented, humble reconcilers, peacemakers, and, you know, rather than a kingdom that goes to war, a kingdom that fight, you know, serves for peace and lays its life down, it doesn't kill and all these inversions, right, that he was doing. Mm. But because of those terms, one of the things I've observed over time is the church as it's tried to embody in its culture, the mission and message of Jesus, they will often adopt the power structures, and then try to reinvent them. So it's kind of like, oh, you have temples, well, we'll have cathedrals, you have the gods you worship, we'll have saints in heaven that we that we acknowledge uh you have robes and rituals for your political leaders uh we'll have robes and rituals um oh wait you've progressed now you are academics and you have universities we'll become university educated you have lectures we'll have homilies you you know what i mean yes. but, and we keep we keep morphing and i'd say the most recent manifestation in the west at least is you know you have celebrities we'll have celebrities you know Totally. Your celebrities look cool. My celebrities look cool. And and we kind of have this kind of like parallelism almost through the centuries where the church has reinvented, tried to reinvent itself as the alternative kingdom. If I can, can I use that kind of idea? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And and so we kind of speak to the culture, but we kind of embody the culture and we get caught in this space of like, well, how do you do that well? And I'm not criticizing it to say you sh- we should have never done that. Okay. I, I'm not trying to speak like a negative wash over the whole church. Okay. I I see it as a very authentic struggle and that there's some that did it well and some that did it badly and it's gotten us into trouble in a lot of places. And we tend to see the past with more critical view and we see ourselves in more sympathetic. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Those I mean, people. That's <laughs> Those people. I'm not like that. <laughs> and, um, so I think when we come into this cultural moment, into this moment in time, and you get in a crisis, I think it becomes one of those times of like, well, I wake up and become self-aware, you know, and you talk about the, the present, you know, U.S. administration and any administration. We have Canada, we have U.K., you could talk about India, China, whatever. We could apply this same sort of critical perspective to any of our leaderships, right, Yeah. and say, how humble are they? How self-aware are they? How wise are they? Right? How reactive are they? How narcissistic are they? Then you could also go to organizations and in, you know, Hollywood and and Silicon Valley and you know, Wall Street and go to all these places and say, well, how are we doing in this crisis? I think it's pretty safe to say probably most of us aren't doing very well. And probably the church is no different. And if I look at myself, I'm like, you know, this is a time of testing. And, you know, scripture talks about times of testing, you know, you find out what's inside, you know, how much gold and how much dross. Mm. And it's easy to point the fingers at other people. It's easy to point the fingers at other times in church history. 
Uh, but this is our moment. And will we submit individually? And the only person I am really responsible for is me. Will I submit myself to the refining work of God to really test out how much has been real, you know, in submission to God and how much of it has been me putting on the clothes, you know what I mean, yeah. of my culture or adopting the roles of my culture trying to fit in? And is that does that need to be looked at with fresh eyes and and renewed yeah. with a with the purity uh, with a pure heart before God? So I do I say all that to say, you know, the, this is a time to take some time to think deeply and not just think reactively, which I appreciate the work that you do on this podcast, Jonathan, to help us think deeply. Well, thank you. I mean, I'll, I'll get on the micros I'll get on the microscope for for that example. I mean, I've spent the last I spent all of 2019 I had felt like the Lord said to me that I needed to become responsible for believing and owning the love in my life. You know, it was like mm. I've surrounded you with people who love you, but the only one who doesn't believe it is you and the only one who is mm. responsible for bringing your heart to believe it is also you. And right. so so I kind of went on this journey to learn to see myself as God sees me and 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 become enough for myself in in that way, right? Not in a sanctification mm. way, but in a uh, you know, in a hey look, I, I'm the first gift that God gave me and I need to treat that right. with, with with love and, and cherish yeah. it. Yeah. Because how can I, how else can I possibly love my neighbor if I don't love myself? So I mean that was my twenty nineteen journey and I've I've got a, a devotional coming out shortly that's all from my learnings on that. But this has been such an interesting test of that even because in the past, I've been an exceptionally social extrovert uh, to, to the point of codependency and and poor boundaries sometimes around my where I receive my emotional fulfillment. And so that's that's been really encouraging to actually really feel like I, I'm really quite content in this present season with myself and my family. Uh, mm -hmm. jumping on Zoom and, and friends saying, oh, we miss you guys so much. And of course I miss my friends. And they're going to be listening to this and they'll be like, what? Where's he going with this? He doesn't miss us? Of course I miss <laughs> my friends. But there's been a deep settledness in my heart that that is new. And I'm I'm very, very grateful for that. On the flip side, man, I've recognized how unkind some of the quick outputs of my heart are. I like to think of myself right. as a very kind, accepting, non-judgmental person. And, you know, a week into this, I'm hearing all these different churches use all kinds of different language surrounding why they are or aren't meeting. You know, but before we all locked down really tight, when there was that one yes. or two weeks of, well, we get to choose. And and I put this thing out on Facebook that I felt was really insightful and and really kind of like, you know, in, interesting what our language reveals about ourselves. And in the the week or two since then, I'm just like, man, I don't feel nice about some of the default things that came out of my heart um, right off the bat. I There is a judgmentalness and an, and an unkindness Ooh. that, to be very frank, I don't want in my brand identity. <laughs> Right, right. You don't want in, you don't want that to be you. Exactly. Right. No, I yeah, don't. <laughs> you don't want that to be you. Right. 
Exactly, and I'm troubled that it that it is me, and that when squeezed, that's one of the things that comes out of me. Obviously, there are other wonderful things that come out of me that I'm relieved to find, <laughs> but but there are other things that are coming out too that I'm like, oh, I didn't realize this was sitting in the bottom of the well. Yeah, and that that is, you know, this is one of the opportunities of people that we don't like, right? That we have a negative reaction to, and we think that the problem, you know, I, this is my tendency is like. I think the people that I don't like, the problem is they're not likable. <laughs> I don't think of them as they are people who are, who are surfacing in me things, mm. right, that I need to face about myself. Um, you know, it's just always easy to, to be everybody else's fault and every, you know, just kind of funny. <laughs> there's this, there's uh, this very funny story about, I don't know if you ever heard of Coco the gorilla that no yeah. sign language. Yeah. Right. And you've ever heard the story about when Coco got, I don't know, just got a bit physical and pulled the sink off the wall no, in know. his, in his room. Well, anyways, he had a little pet kitten that they gave him and he, you know, he'd have as a pet, right. Took care of the kitten. But when he pulled the sink off and they came in and signed, like what happened to the sink? He said the kitten did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is like, such a beautiful picture, right, of the human condition. Yeah. In that any problem in my environment is obviously somebody else's fault, right? Yes. And, you know, this is why I think we like leaders that we hate because it gives us an easy target for us to peg stuff on other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's a quiet way to feel better about ourselves. Well, and, well, and anger, and anger feels powerful, and we're so powerless in this context. Right. So it just becomes like a real easy go-to place unconsciously. We don't even think about it. We just do it. Take a quick break to thank my Patreon supporters and to everybody who shares these podcasts, uh, tells your friends about them. Thank you so much. You guys make this possible and you keep me encouraged and it means so much. Thank you to Iris, my latest supporter. Uh, It's a blessing to have you. And uh, yeah, I'm so thankful for all of you, especially during this time. Your constant words of encouragement and support mean so much to me. God bless you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I do think, you know, one of the passages that I have spent a lot of time sitting with is the Beatitudes. And I'm convinced that the Beatitudes are have within it a progressive flow, that the first three stanzas are about a posture, emptying out the interior of our lives until we're hungry and thirsty for the right kind of relationships or right kind of life. And that transitions then into mercy and experience of mercy, which then opens up a pure heart so that we see God for who God really is, mm-hmm. which then positions us to be peacemakers in the world and ultimately suffer with God in the redemption of a broken planet. And in that progress of becoming poor in spirit, of being brokenhearted for all that's wrong, to laying down my power, which is the meekness word, uh, you know, to be bridled in my power. And just hungering and thirsting for righteousness, embracing mercy as the path to right relationship and right life. That purifying the heart, right? Which comes late in the game. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like once I'm on that journey, I'm like, that's right. That that does come late in the game. Like I don't get a pure heart right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And it's a process. And the the thing that I, the threshold I have to pass through 
Sasha is emptying out my false loves or my empty loves, right? My wrong attachments. You can talk about that, you know, where I look my needs. But when I pass through mercy, it really does mercy for others, right? Mercy for myself. Yes. Mercy for this world that my heart starts to be refined in its motives and I start to see God more clearly. Yes. And uh, I think that in this moment in time, you know, I think for the church in the refining fires, in the testing of this time, I think there's, it's for me, it's, it's for me, it's for whoever's listening here. It's not a time to see how everybody else is doing, but to say, right, God, where, where's my next point of growth? With you? Mm, where's my next point of growth? Yeah, that's good. So then another passage comes to mind or another verse, another sentence. It's not really a verse in the Bible. It's from A Tale of Two Cities. Mm. Are you familiar with that book? Yes, yes. The, the opening line, familiar, famous line, is the best of times, it was the worst of times. And uh, I think that's what every crisis ultimately offers us. And uh, I think this is similar to other crises in the past. It becomes one of our hardest times, but becomes one of our greatest opportunities too. So, I wonder what happens uh, how, how, you know, we emerge from this a month, six months, a year, whatever it, it looks like, and we return to our communities or, or you know, we, we continue, whatever that looks like, with perhaps a greater compassion, a greater embodied mercy. Uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder how much we are shifted in whatever the future world looks like simply because of that, that fact, you know. This this large opportunity, invitation, if you will, to to look into those next growth steps. Yeah, and I think that's you know when I said at the beginning, some changes are done to us, and then some we embrace and we pursue. And I think the challenge for me individually, and then but also in my realm of relationships is. Can I receive what's happening to me, but then see God at work in that and then start to embrace that and partner with that and lean into that and to say, you know, how do we need to set our sights to be different in the future? And I definitely think in terms of our, our cooperation together, being very practical and serving our local communities, being built ready, you know, kind of being built for service in very practical terms, less aspirational, more practical um, I hope out of this, out of this season, we get, you know, better tools, but also better mindsets mm. for what, what's core to our life. Yeah. I, I've felt even just in the neighborhood, you know, we've got this sign hanging up that we've put up on our, over our garage that says, take heart. We're all in this together. That yeah. uh, a friend of ours started and started posting them on Instagram. And so we put one up there and and I feel the sense of solidarity with my neighbors, my physical mm -hmm. neighbors. You know, when I know a few of them on this on the street, but not as many as I'd like. And and now we're at this point where you know we'll all wave to each other, and there's this warmth, right. there's this right. longing, even um, I think, for for contact. Um, I mean, for 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 three years, I've been thinking about throwing a block party in the summer, but I haven't yes. done it. There's been no urgency. I have plenty of other friends. It just kind of like it doesn't happen. But you know, this in some ways feels like a catalyst. You know, I'm like I could yeah. actually ex get the excuse to get everybody's phone number on my street. Um, yeah, because I could drop off a note saying, "Hey, if you need anything, yeah, we're at this number. 
and just drop us a line. And our neighbor brought us toilet paper because she was still working at No Frills. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, thanks. Um, a neighbor walked by the other day and she said, I love your sign. It cheers me up every time I see it. And I'm like, that's the most interaction I've ever had with that neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But she lives like 100 yards away from me. Right. And is my age and seems like a nice human being. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I, I think these moments, and you know, it's kind of like, it takes, it's sad that this is the case, but it's not uncommon. It takes a crisis like this for us to wake up to what we, what we want, but we allow the other distractions to crowd mm, out. Yes. And, you know, you kind of have the, the sower and the seed, right? The cares of this world choke out the good stuff, right? Yes. And you could take it very specifically to, you know, Jesus' message being applied in our lives. But I think it can be brought into the quality of life that he wants for us gets choked out mm. because we've got a lot of other stuff going on. And it's very simple. You know, it's like when you talk about a block party, right? You know, the thing that strikes me about Jesus is kind of like, Hey, do you know what? If you're all going to get along, you should have some meals together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? And you're like, that's like thousands of year old human wisdom. Well, yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. It's not, just Jesus, because on the one hand we can think of ah oh, Jesus loved eating and drinking, but I mean even the 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 pivotal situation where where Paul is trying to figure out whether the Greeks need to get circumcised, right? And they tra right. they travel back to the council. He's like, look, I've got this guy Titus. He seems like he's totally got the life of Christ in him. Uh, still got his foreskin. Is that okay? You know, and and James is basically like, well, yeah, I think it's fine. Just make sure that when you guys eat and drink together that you're not eating food sacrificed to idols because otherwise the Jewish believers can't join you. I'm like, yeah, preserve the, the table. Yeah, and make it as open as possible. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like we, we kind of like what they're, what's the spirit behind it, right? Yeah. And that is like eat in a way that everybody, you know, make the adjustments so as many people can participate together and just share it because that's what it's all about. Mm. It's it's about a big open table. If you don't that, if you're too exclusive, you're too, you're missing the point, you know? And in, in these moments, you kind of come back to it, it's like, yeah, Christians probably should be really good at like condo parties and block parties and neighborhood, you know, barbecues and stuff like that. Shouldn't we? <laughs> we follow a guy who was had an ill reputation for neighborhood <laughs> parties. <laughs> right. And what's the one thing we never do? Don't do. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think there is kind of like. It's a great opportunity for a reset button. That's another thing, you know, you could say is or or reinvention is 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 God recalibrating us in this point. And something else I'll mention too that I've known this about human behavior. We don't change because of opportunity, we change because of pain. Mm -hmm. That is like the most uh, for kids. Kids don't need pain. Kids change by opportunity, curiosity, learning, but adults almost always need a pain catalyst to change. So maybe maybe this is a part of, you know, we can we'll look back and see this as as our great reformation. Mm, wow. Yeah, let it be like in the best way, you know. Yes. Yeah, in the best way. Could we be reformed as a church? Yeah. One one last question that I'd love to just hear your thoughts on, uh, as as we've been watching the spread of the virus and different containment measures in different nations. I've been fascinated by how culture 
impacts things. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, we take Japan, for example, when we look at their, their data, they seem to be very effective at slowing the rate of infection. And so people will say, well, you know, look at Japan, they've locked down. But I spoke to a friend in Japan and he said, well, you know, we're not really that locked down. But the underlying cultural aspects and hygiene and the way uh, Japanese carry themselves in life uh, and the way they respond to authority had a built-in cooling effect on social engagement and and have had the result of a slowed infection rate. Similarly, we see in the Nordic countries where there's a really high degree of trust in government or trust in institutions. It's kind of like, okay, well, we'll we'll just get on board. And then, you know, we see a bit more in the States where there's obviously there's that state by state level independence that we all get to kind of make our own decision uh, Mm -hmm. ourselves. And, And there's it's it's a different structure, and I feel like, as so often is the case, Canada finds itself kind of in the middle, <laughs> kind of yeah. like, well, you know, we're generally we're going to do what we've been advised to do. Um, I'd be interested on the on your thoughts culturally, but even just beyond that, into the church, are there uniquenesses in the Canadian church on at large that uh, just may play into this or are worth commenting on? Yeah, I I definitely think. You know, that this is its own kind of like waking up to ourselves as we look around. It's like, oh, it's, you know, wow, we are kind of different. And why is that? Why are those differences there? Some of them are pretty easy to tease to the front, right? Uh, a lot of the entrepreneurial spirit of migrating west coming out of Europe into, you know, the Western migration, right? Mm-hmm. The further you go, the closer, closer you are historically to entrepreneurism, the more independent, the more, oh, this doesn't apply to me. You know what I mean? Right. I'll risk my life. Sure. Right. I I want to get rich. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's gold right? in those hills. There, there's gold in those hills. I know I might kill a few of us on the way, but gosh, I'd rather be a millionaire than be poor. Um, that that kind of mindset can kind of shape some of our decision making in times like this of how important making money is versus safety and submission to authorities versus autonomy and independence and leave me alone. So. I definitely see that. And, you know, just globally, they talk regionally about some very big macro long-term cultural paradigms, like an honor shame culture versus an integrity guilt culture versus Mm -hmm. a fear power culture and how they, how they have different leadership models and inherent values and what's a life and death issue and what's not a life and death issue and, and those things. So just real, I'll just briefly comment on this for whatever it's worth. You know, in an honor or shame culture, a shared ideal and authority is very important. And what your status is and how you relate to that shared ideal and that authority structure, your status and your contribution is very important. Hmm. Your honor, how you are positioned. That's that's much more life and death, if I can say that. Feels life and death. That's why you'll see in honor shape shame cultures things like suicide rates for having dishonored the family being much higher right Mm, or even like or honor killings right which is hard for people in other cultures to imagine then an integrity guilt culture that tends to be a little bit more familial if i can say that based um more survival through the family tends to be more an integrity guilt cultures often in cold climates where you had to kind of band together as families to survive and those tend to be much more like high value on fairness and sharing and uh, nurture and obligation to each other and these types of 
value sets that come more with family type structures get baked into the culture. Mm. And so, you know, um, where fear of power tends to be a little bit more one-on-one, you might see the, the, the strong, strong leader in a military support, you know, to that as being, and that tends to be a little bit more like loyalty and like strict loyalty and greater freedom in some sense within fear of power cultures kind of a live and let live. But when it comes to lockdown, it's like now, now we're being loyal. You, are you with me or for me or against me? Right. That type of thing tends to be a a lot more defined on individual terms, not familial terms or, or, uh, or tribal or, you know, larger societal structures, but much more kind of like um, smaller uh, independent, uh, like you expect loyalty. If I'm the leader of a fear power culture, I expect everybody to be loyal to me, that kind of thing. I put my picture up. Sure. Those types of things, right? So you look at each of those cultures and kind of the underpinning of how that's helped society survive. And I don't see them as, I just see those as ways that people have learned to survive in different settings and how that's kind of got baked into how they operate. It's just their normal operating system. I do think then when we have more self-awareness about that, then we can kind of look across and say, <clears throat> is there something in my own culture that's maybe making me less responsive mm-hmm. or you know, to this need of this moment? Am I, you know, fighting against reality in a sense? You know what I mean? That I think, and this is one of the bigger problems with humans is, or people is, we don't want reality is, we want to bend reality to be what we want it to be. Sure. And we always get ourselves into trouble when we do that, right? Because we're small, as the virus has taught us, right? Yeah. I think like one of the great moments is humility for the human race right now in all of our cultures and to say a little unseen virus has brought most of the most powerful economies of the world to its knees within four to six weeks and have shut down most of our structures and we can't even see this little virus. So how big are we really compared to the forces of this world God has created? We're nothing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Totally. We're, we, we are... Every, we build sand castles. We don't build real castles. So I often, I often get wrapped up around like, man, what does it look like for the return of Christ? If you, if you believe in that bodily, what does it look like for, for all the systems and powers to bow? I just can't even imagine it. Well, I can now. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I actually now. I couldn't imagine it. And now you're like, oh wow, this is what it looks like. Where they make an announcement and then two days later have to change everything they said. <laughs> right. I want, yeah, I, I, I almost feel like, man, my prophetic imagination has just been supercharged. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely, and that's where I'm like, now we might run away from this too, right? Like sometimes when we encounter being humbled, what's on the other side is not staying humbled, but now we become even more bullish, right? Mm. So uh, I don't want to be too optimistic about the the human heart <laughs> since we don't, we don't have a super, I don't have a super great track record with my own heart. I'm trying hard. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyways, but having said that, I, I definitely do think that we, if we open our eyes, we will see a lot right now in terms of like this, the yeah, good insights. What can we learn about our own culture? How do, how does my particular culture position me to fight reality versus submit and be humble and learn? Wow. Right. Or where does my culture maybe actually help me? And it's actually a good part of my culture that I can pause and like, well, that that's good. That's, you know, thank God that I've got that in my culture right now. Yes. 
Um, but then also how can we learn from each other too? Like just have hearts that are open in this moment to say, what can we learn? Let's say, you know, from different cultures around the world that can be our teachers and guides in this moment that we can see the benefit of the things that they take for granted in their culture. And maybe if we learn from them, we could grow and become better because of it. So often people, you know, it's just the human thing of wherever I grew up is obviously the best place in the world. Yes, exactly. Right. So uh, can we get over a bit of that and learn from each other? Mm. Tim, I love all of these reflections. Would you uh, be willing to pray for us to wrap up? Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, God, as we're just talking about all these things, you know, we're just uh, two of uh, your children wrestling with the world that we live in. And it's a world that's rapidly changing. And there are uh, people listening in from around the world just <clears throat> kind of on this journey with us, reflecting and thinking about the things we've talked about today. I think what I want to just end on here as I'm praying is just that acknowledgement of how small we are, how dependent we are on you. And on God in a time of crisis, it's the time to really slow down and allow you to, to speak deeply to us and reshape us, to help us become more aware, more anchored in what really matters in life. And God, um, we invite you to speak to us later today, tomorrow, as we sleep, as we wake up, um, to continue to refine our understanding of the type of life that you offer us, uh, both through the example of Jesus, um, but also in his call in our lives. And that as we follow Jesus and learn how to do that better, um, may we continue to open up and see unfold before us the full life that you um, want for us. Uh, so in this season of a global pandemic that is bringing a world to its knees, uh, this broken world that you created, but right now is being humbled by this pandemic, may this also be a time when uh, we individually and then collectively as your church are reformed and reshaped to better serve you in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim Day. Guys, uh, go check out the show notes for details on the resources that Tim's organizations are making available. Check out waybase.com for a massive listing of churches in Canada and their their strengths and all the different kinds of things that each one is focusing on. Uh, Tim has a passion for helping ministries connect with one another, uh, leverage their collective impact potential. And, uh, and he's just a really wonderful guy. Uh, he was a senior leader at the Meeting House for many, many years. Uh, many of you know Bruxy Cavey and that wonderful church. So thank you so much for listening. Grace and peace to you. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Make sure you're following me on social media at Jonathan Puddle. And uh, you can read my other content at JonathanPuddle.com. God bless you guys. <laughs>